It is good to be here this morning in the house of the Lord. And I'm going to take my glasses off so that I can see you better. Doesn't that just not make sense? But it does. And uh, this morning, I want to invite you to participate in the Word of God and the hearing of the Word of God. Uh, I uh, am excited for what God is doing in our midst. I believe that God is working in and through the life of many who call Skyview their home. And it is exciting to see that our faith is more than just creedal. It's more than just confession. It's more than just what we sing on a Sunday, but it is a faith that is being embodied in our daily life. This is at the very heart of the series that Pastor Jeff so wonderfully started just a few weeks ago. And this morning, we'll continue on in listening to what James has to say to the church. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to James chapter 1? I'm going to read from verse 22 to 25. And then we're going to flip over to chapter 2 and read from verse 14 through to 26. James chapter 1, reading from verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forget what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. And then in chapter 2, reading from verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Wow, James. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead as well. When we started this series, we uh, heard from Pastor Jeff as he reflected upon the nature of the faith that James describes. For James... Faith is an integral part, an integral part of what it means to be a Christian. But James would have us believe that it's not just simply having faith, but the nature of faith, the kind of faith you have matters. Uh, James, the book itself is, 
is an interesting book to study. Some suggest that it is one of our earliest Christian books that was accepted into the canon that we now call Scripture. And because it's so early, it has a very Hebraic perspective. What I mean by that is it is very Jewish in its outlook. It has a very uh, uh, Jewish person in mind when James writes. But they also say that James is complex and hard to understand because if any serious reading of James teaches us anything, James seems to kind of shift midpoint, kind of like the way I preach, from one subject to the other. And sometimes it's easy to listen to James and go, I'm not sure I'm quite carrying what he is trying to communicate. And uh, as I studied this, I said, I can see why people say that until I stumbled upon a perspective that might be helpful. Now, just stay with me for a second because I promise it will get better. One of the ways to understand James is to recognize that the first chapter in and of itself becomes a means or a foundation to understand what comes next. If you are going to study James, I would suggest that you approach it in the following way. Read James chapter 1 repeatedly several times because in James chapter 1, what he essentially does is he lays the case or he highlights the points that he will express in greater detail in the letter that follows. One of the significant texts in James chapter 1 is what is found in verses 2 through 4. I always encourage people to read along with me if you have your Bibles, but if you don't, Listen carefully. In James chapter 1, reading from verse 2 through to 4, he says this, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Here's what James is doing in verses 2 through 4. He is suggesting that the kind of faith that he is uh, proposing, the kind of faith that he will be teaching on is a faith that, uh, that perseveres and that matures. It is a faith that grows. It is not a faith that is simply about an ascent to a belief structure, but it is a faith that continues to be shaped and continues to be strengthened. If I was to give you a perspective very quickly of what James has to say about faith, there are a few points that are worth mentioning. First, he would say that faith that endures and is strengthened is the faith that exists in times of testing and trial. To be a Christian, let me put it in a different way, is to not expect that somehow we will be spared from trials or adversity or pain or suffering. To be a Christian, according to James, is to recognize that one's faith can in fact be strengthened as a result of trials as a result of adversity, as a result of the things that come up against our life. You see, James has a very Christian understanding of trials which may be absent in our contemporary evangelical Western minds. When trials come, we do not see it as being complementary to our faith. In fact, some would teach this, that when trials come, it's probably because you have done something wrong. James would say this to us, acknowledging that sometimes the trials we experience is because of what we have done. That sometimes the pain we bring into our lives is because of our sin. But he would also say this, that sometimes we experience trials that we have not personally created for ourselves. Yet, the wonderful good news of James when it comes to trials is this, that trials do not have to destroy our faith, but trials can in fact, in fact 
strengthen it. This morning, if you're experiencing any kind of trial, I want to suggest to you that if you hold to a faith in Jesus Christ, that you must appropriate what James is saying in the following way. How is God going to strengthen and refine who you are according to the text? His desire is that we would mature. You know, James makes this clear. He says, I, I, I'm praying that trials would mature you. You see, he's, he's not some kind of masochist. He's not some kind of person who delights in suffering because he likes to see people in pain. He, he in fact, goes this far. He says, you can have joy. Why can you have joy? Because your joy will produce in you, because the, the trials will produce in you the very purposes of God. You will be a person that is mature in your faith. You know, the purpose of Skyview Church... The purpose of our Christian life is that we would mature in our Christian faith. That we would not simply accept that belief and being a Christian is the sum end of our Christian existence. We believe that salvation is a good starting point to the Christian life, but it is not the end point. Many believe and live their life this way. It's just about being saved. James would have us believe, Jesus would teach, that God desires to fashion for himself a people, a mature people, reflecting in every possible way the very person of Jesus Christ in this world. Though your salvation, my salvation, is essential and a gracious gift from God to which all people say amen. God cares so deeply about us that he does not only want to leave us where we are, but through even trials, perfect within us who he knows we are truly made to be. And boy, I'm getting excited about that. That the work he has begun in us is a work that he is faithful to complete even when we face adversity. Listen, here's what James is saying. Not even trials can thwart the plans of God for your life if you believe that even in trials, God can do the impossible. The faith that James speaks of is not only a faith that is strengthened in times of testing, but last week I said to you that the faith he speaks of is a faith that leads to an attentiveness to what we say and how we listen. I suggested last week that one of the things that James does not let us get away with is a faith that ex- exists in a spiritual vacuum and has nothing to do with everyday life. You know, faith, faith for James is faith that actually finds itself outworking in the relationships we have. You know, for James, bringing together the great commandment of Jesus is not only a love for God that manifests itself in worship to God, but it is a love for our fellow man. And one of the ways in which James challenges the Messianic community is to say this, that if you truly love God, then you will watch what you say and you will listen more than you speak. James becomes real practical. He would say to us that listening is a gift to the community. He would say that opening one's ears and listening more than one speaks is an essential part of a maturing Christian. He would say this, that words have power. Words can steer an entire community in a direction, hopefully by the will of God to the direction that God has in mind. And the caution that James gives is that if we have to have a faith according to what he is teaching, that it ought to be the kind of faith that takes responsibility for what we say say and how we listen. I uh, stressed the point last week that our words can have weight. 
I remember words being said to me when I was young. You know, uh, you know, uh, there's many of us here, and it's the context of teaching that was the context I preached out of last week, and I apologize for those of you who were not here. But we have many uh, associated with education, many who teach. And, and I stress the point with you that we as teachers, according to James, must take very seriously what he has to say about our speech. You know how James says it? He says, the person is revealed in what they say. Another way of saying it, he says this, the person comes out of the mouth. You know what James would have us say? Words matter. Don't just be flippant about them. Be careful what you say, not only in community, but when you're with yourself. He he puts it this way. He says, words can set fire to an entire forest. And something which seems insignificant in speech can bring decimation to many. I, I, I I want to encourage us as a church that we would be a maturing church who has a faith that exercises divine wisdom in what we say and become a people that is more attentive to not only hearing what God has to say to us, but to listen to others. James would say it this way. He says, when you learn to listen more than you speak, you actually reduce the potential for anger. And I cannot stress how significant it is in marriage. Oh, listening. Now I'm preaching out of conviction. I mean, I was convicted before, but now God's really convicting me. Uh, I, I turned to my wife last week. Are you still with me? You're such a well-behaved crowd. I'm so, so polite. You are. That wasn't sarcasm, the, the earlier part of that. But after what I was speaking last week, I, I stood next to my wife, and I, I had to turn to her, and I had to say, Honey... <laughs> What I've just preached has really been convicting on me. <laughs> and I had to say to her, sorry for the times in which I don't listen as I ought to. Sorry for the times in which my mind is on something else. So- sorry for the times in which I'm too busy. You, you, you know, one of the, 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 the most significant ways in which you can enrich your marriage, I'm saying this again, is to become a spouse who becomes attentive and truly listens to the other. Many a marriage can be strengthened. Many a marriage will be saved when we learn to pay attention to the other. More significantly, when we come into fellowship like this, I pray that we would come with an attentiveness to what God has to say. I believe wholeheartedly that God speaks through His Word. I am not so super spiritual that I am the only purveyor of his word, of course. And all of you know I'm not perfect, surprising as that may be. But when we open the word of God, we open it not simply just to hear, but to listen. The kind of listening that James describes in the text is a listening that, that leads to action. He, he says, do not simply hear the word and not do anything. He says, the kind of listening that we ought to practice is a listening that affects us, that affects our life, and that leads to action, which is the theme this morning. 
to have faith, according to James, is not enough just to simply acknowledge that one believes. But he says the nature of one's faith, if it is not a faith that actually affects what we do day in and day out in relationship with others, in relationship to our resources, in relationship to our money, he says then it is not the kind of faith that ultimately is a saving faith. You see, for James, to believe is not simply about right thoughts or the intellectualization of belief, but it is faith that is demonstrable in our daily lives in how we relate to those in particular who are in need. In James, what we do in response to need is a strong indication of the kind of faith we have. In fact, he would say this way. He would say, our faith reveals what is true about God. Just as James would have us know that the type of person comes out of the mouth, he would have us know that the faith that reveals truly who we are is demonstrated in our actions. So this morning, I want to reflect on three significant points. At least they're significant to me. I would suggest to you that in our text, James shows us how we can measure our faith. Second, what non-working faith looks like. And third, what faith looks like that works. First, how we measure faith. Are you still with me? I want you to look at chapter 1 verse 22. Here's what James says, But be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. He says, those who hear but don't do are deceiving themselves that they have true faith. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. Now this morning when I woke up, I looked into the mirror because I do not want to show up uh, without my hair combed and probably dressed for church. My attempt at humor. Humor is only for you who have hair. I'll have you know I'm pretty serious about that. But anyway, still bothers me. I remember... In my early 20s, when I started to lose my hair, that was just devastating because I was such an attractive man. And uh, <laughs> my wife says, still is, still is, wonderful. Praise God for a wonderful wife. But this morning when I w- woke up, I-, I looked into the mirror, and I actually caught myself doing this. I-, I didn't do it because I thought, man, that would be a good illustration for my preaching today. I stood up because I am now, you know, no longer in my 30s, but I dare not say where I'm at. And I looked at the mirror and I noticed there someone that vaguely resembles who I was 20 years ago. I mean, I, I, <laughs> this is not bad. I, I don't know why all of you are so serious. I, I looked in the mirror and I, and I stared for a moment and I looked and, and there, all these thoughts flooded my mind. And, and I, you know, recently I heard someone say to me, man, when I look at your son, I see you. Poor Luke, you know, I mean, like, that's not, that's not what you want to say, you know. But I recognized that as I looked, there was a perception I had, a perspective I had. I, I wanted to see who I truly am. 
And I think that this has been, this has been lost on me when I, when I've studied the scripture before. What, 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 what James does is he does this. He, he uses metaphor, right? And he uses it so well. He says the person who hears and does nothing with what they hear is like a person who comes to a mirror, looks at themselves, and then leaves and quickly forgets what they have seen. He then goes on and explains the metaphor. He says, we must look into the perfect law the same way we would look into a mirror. In James, the perfect law, stay with me, is summed up in two commands. It is the command that Jesus gives in response to being tested for what the greatest commandment is. A lawyer comes up to Jesus and says this. He says, listen, tell me what is the greatest command. What is all the law about? Tell me, the Mishnah with all its 365 prohibitions, the Torah, the Decalogue, what does it all mean? Jesus responds in the following way. He says it means this, that you must learn to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second, taken from Leviticus 19 verse 18, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Here's what James is saying. He says, when you look into the law as interpreted through Jesus Christ, then you forget not only who Jesus is, but who he's made you when you only hear and you don't do. Another way of putting it is this way. You are betraying who you are in Christ when your faith is simply about hearing and not responding. You know, James is saying, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you you see someone that is shaped by this great commandment? Do you see someone that is shaped by a true love for God and a true love for their fellow man? You know, many, many people, many people confess that they love God. But James is so hard. He's, he's tough, you know. I mean, he's just absolutely abrupt and, and maybe even bordering a little bit on rude at times when he speaks. When he says, listen, I, I, I don't care so much what you profess I want to see the evidence of a true faith in the way you respond and react to those in need. I think that, for me, James has been challenging because of the simple way in which he highlights what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, Jesus said that we ought to love God with everything. Can I I just depart for just a second? One of the things that I love about the tradition that I'm a part of And we have a Wesleyan kind of Armenian, if you want to know what that means, ask me afterwards, but kind of traditional influence as a church. But one of the things that I really enjoy, and I was speaking to to a good friend of mine about this, and he pointed it out too, is that we believe that to love God is to not only have a spiritual engagement with God, whatever that means, but it is to come to God with everything that we are. You know, uh, the, the idea that we, we outsource parts of our body, you know, our lives, that, you know, we have a physical and a mental and, a, and, a, and, a, and an emotional and, and, and all those different parts is a very Greek way of thinking about us as human beings. But the Hebrew understanding is that we are whole beings. We come to God as whole beings. We bring our intellect. We don't check it at the door when we come to church. Amen. You know, this, this perspective that Christian people are not thinking people is a perspective that, that I really hope we refute as a church. 
<laughs> that we, that we, we are not reasonable thinking people. We are reasonable thinking people, but oh boy, we are much more than just reasonable thinking people. To love God means we come to Him with a, with, 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 with everything about us. We apply not only our intellect and our minds, but we, 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 we reach deep in to the affect of heart and emotion and soul. We come before Him to worship Him in every possible way that we are. But then He would say this, James would say, as wonderful as that is, if you don't love your neighbor in practical ways, you don't have true faith. I would suggest to us this morning as a community of faith that this is a good word for us. A word that challenges us to not be deceived about the nature of what uh, James is speaking about. A word that asks us to hold up the mirror this morning and just to look into it and ask ourselves, what kind of faith do we truly have? Let me be very careful and very quick to point this out, though it's later in my notes. I feel the need to say it now. Those who have studied James and those of you who are astute enough knows that in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that we are not saved by our works. You know, the Apostle Paul would say this. He would say, we are saved by faith through the grace that comes from God. And as a church, we believe that wholeheartedly. We do not believe that it's because of how hard we work that God loves us more. Some Christians need to be really, really set free from that perspective that the harder we work, the more God loves us. That the more we do, the more God loves us. Uh, you know, Paul makes it strikingly clear. He says, we are not saved by our works. We are saved by the grace of God. So what does James say? Some have read James and says, James is opposing Paul. He's saying something completely different. This is absolutely not true. In fact, Luther, uh, father of Reformation, he had the big problem with James. He called James a letter that is not worth considering because he interpreted or misappropriated. Now, I'm not just saying this out of my own intelligence because I am impressive right now, am I not? I'm saying this based upon others who have studied this far more deeply than I to say this to you. James is saying very clearly, nothing different to Paul except to say this, the kind of faith that speaks of a true saving faith and belief in the true and living God is a faith that finds its way into our lives, into every detail into every action, into every interaction. He is certainly not saying that we're saved because we work hard, but he's saying if you know there's a true faith, it reveals itself in the kind of work you do. So he defines what non-working faith looks like. He says that non-working faith, and he uses a rather uh, funny illustration. He he says a, a, a naked person shows up at your door. That's rather uncomfortable. I think sometimes we miss the humor of some of these. uh, We make them so religious that we miss it. I mean, he's being ridiculous because, you know, in biblical days, this is utter shame to be naked. Even when a, when, a, when, a, when a father would have the outer garment just lifted up, it would be shameful, even though he had something on underneath, undergarments underneath. It would be shameful. But James, he reaches deep here and he says, a naked brother or sister shows up at your door and they do not have their daily food. 
and you respond. And in the words of Scott McKnight, I love how Scott says this. He says, you know, they are hungry and they are naked. And here's what you literally say. May God's peace be upon you. May God warm you and may God fill you up. Go in peace. You see, this is the person, James says, that says all the right things. Yes, God's peace upon you. Yes, may God warm you. Yes, may God fill you up. But here again, speech that is disconnected from right action as pious and sounds great, but essentially means nothing. Here James is at his best when he says non-working faith is faith that speaks or talks a big talk but is not willing to do what is necessary to accompany such faith. It is not only profession of what is true, it is truth embodied, outworking in and through my life. Faith is not simply what we say to others. It is not simply what we say to others. It is not simply what we say to others about what we believe. Sometimes it is, but it is not only that. Because true faith shows itself in what we do. This morning, I am convicted by this text because on many occasions I have had encounters with people who are in need. I was very encouraged one day when I stopped by a friend's home and there was a person laying on the side of the house that, that I found out, not through direct conversation, but later on, that this person took the time to minister to. Um, most of you know that I grew up in South Africa, and, and uh, it's not uncommon in certain parts of South Africa, most parts of South Africa, in fact, even in the wealthier neighborhoods now, to see people standing on the side of the road and begging. You know, one of the hardest things in in South Africa is that what is absolutely wrong becomes normal. Do you know what I mean? You see it so much, you see it so much that you pass without taking a thought. Maybe, maybe, maybe what happens in our minds is is, is this. You know, I I don't know if I should give them money because who knows where they spend the money. Anyone feel a little... I don't have the time to stop right now. There's just so many. I don't know if I could make a difference. You know, what I love about Jesus is, you know, Jesus, Jesus says, listen, before you, you, you become overly concerned about changing the world, become overly concerned about being transformed yourself. And then in the telling of the parable in the gospel of the lost coin, of the lost sheep and the lost son. He highlights the significance that God puts on one. And it is as if Jesus teaches us a valuable lesson. That listen, you may not be able to do it for everyone. But even just one. 
You know, in Matthew chapter 25, we read that at Judgment Day, he will separate the sheep from the goat. And the reason that the goats will be put on the side of condemnation is because that there were those who were hungry, those who were poor, those who were, who were in need, and they did not respond and do what they ought to do. And Jesus makes this profound statement. He says, because as you have not done for the least of these, you have not done for me. You see, what Jesus is saying is that my presence is with those who are desperately in need. And that if you want to enjoy my presence, it is not just here on Sunday morning, but it is being where I am most concerned to be. It is being with those who deeply need me. This kind of faith moves us from just being people who says good things to people who risk much. It is not safe to be a Christian. It is the most insecure thing you can do. To pledge allegiance to this Jesus is to say that I give my life away for the sake of the other. And then Jesus says, faith is not simply just about what we believe about God. And let me illustrate this to you in a very simple way. So first, faith, faith that doesn't work is not simply faith that, 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 that is about what we say to others, but faith is not simply what we believe about God. James asserts in the text that we read this morning that there are those who would say, we believe that God is one. Of course, when James refers to this, he's referring to the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 10. Shema is the Hebrew word that means hear, and it goes something like this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You must love this God. What James is saying is, he says to them, listen, I know what you're saying amongst yourself. You're saying you have faith because you believe in the one true living God and you love Him. But then James, in only a rhetorical way that he can, says this, but even demons believe the same thing. In fact, as I listened to James, I was reminded of the demon-possessed man that Jesus encounters who runs up to him from a distance, falls at his feet before him, and shouts at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, he says, Don't torture me. Even the demons profess to know who Jesus is. And James, in only a unique way that he can, says, It's not just in what you know. I wonder this morning, as I think about the words, you know, James is hard to preach, right? Because, I mean, I like Paul. Paul is so exciting, you know. I mean, he's got all these theological nuances, and you can kind of run with that. And, and you know, and, and I love Paul, but James is just so straight darn forward that I find it hard to say anything complex about him. But maybe that's his strength. He is, he is proposing here a faith that runs much deeper than just, I am Christian. Then I believe in God. He's proposing a faith here that goes far more, far deeper than, than marking on a census form that I'm Protestant, if we still do that. He, he's talking about a faith that actually finds its, its, its power 
in relationship with others. A faith that is transformative. A faith that is maturing. You know, the question we ought to ask if we are to measure our faith is this. Has my faith led me to do things that I once did not do? Not in the bad sense, because that's usually how we preach the church. But in the good sense. Am I being more sacrificial? Am I being more attuned to the needs of others? Am I reaching out in ways that transcends my comfort level? Listen, when James uses two examples, Abraham and Rahab, this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, for both of those, their faith was made evident in their radical obedience and their willingness to sacrifice ultimately. To be a person of faith is not to live within the margins of a measured faith, but a faith that is incredibly radical, that takes us even to places of discomfort and insecurity. This is the faith that James speaks about. This is the faith that challenges me to my core. Please do not in this moment look at me and say, he must live this faith. I long to live this faith because such a faith would change the world, don't you think? A faith that risks much for the sake of one, a faith that does not seek security, comfort, or what comes to me, but a faith that is radically dependent upon the Spirit of God and invested in His authority and sovereignty and says, Father, whatever you ask me to do, I will do. This kind of faith Is the kind of faith that he says was evident in Father Abraham. <laughs> James knows his audience. He knows that they love Abraham. Anybody ever sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons? That song went on forever. <laughs> While they're the children of Abraham, Abraham to them was the father of faith. And it makes sense that James says to them, listen, look to Abraham and see that the reason he was considered to be faithful is because he was obedient even when it would cost him his son. That's hard. That's hard. That's hard. But just in case they thought that it was just about a Jewish patriarch of faith, he throws in a Gentile prostitute who harbored spies. And he says this, he says, you know... <laughs> When those two spies came, Rahab took them, hid them, and let them out in a different way. And by her daring faith, she too is justified. I love what is uh, explicit and implicit about that. The explicit is that, yeah, you, 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 you love Abraham because he is the father of your faith, but I am challenging you to have a stronger faith than even Abraham. And then goes further and says this implicitly, that it doesn't matter... In this messianic community, whether your father is Abraham by genealogy, because through Jesus Christ, he has made all his children that even a person of the most irreputable reputation in biblical days can be a person of true faith. And I love that about the gospel. Listen, I want us as a community of faith to live an embodied spirituality. I want to live this faith, and I want to say a few things about that. I cannot live it on my own. I don't trust myself enough. I think that Christian community helps us to live this faith. How many of us, and don't raise your hands, inside raise your hand. How many of us, We'll say that God has spoken to us this morning 
and that we are sincere in what he has said to us. And that we leave here with a sincere desire to live this. But how many of us has the sneaking suspicion that maybe the, the momentum that is gained here today will peter out sooner than we'd like it to? I have a perspective on that. I, I, think, that, I think that if Christian community starts to be more intentional with one another and hold each other accountable for the good things, uh, when we start to actually ask each other, how, how are we doing with our faith? And I love having conversations with you about your life. I do care about your life, and I'm sure you care about my life as well. But do we care about an embodied faith? So much so that in one another's lives, we're asking ourselves the questions pertaining to living out of this identity. In other words, when we get together, do we have anybody in our lives that, that is asking us the, the hard but right questions? You know, the, 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 the anonymity within the community of faith today allows us to be so individualistic, but the greater sin of that is that it allows us to remain people who have deep convictions but no action. I would suggest to us as a community today that we must find that person or persons. We, we must be that person or person. And I'm speaking to myself. Let me ask you another question. When is the last time that someone whom you trust and love, and more significantly who loves and trusts you, asks you about your Christian life and your obedience to the Lord? Let me ask you another question. When is the last time that you intentionally, as an act of obedience to God, sacrifice something that actually costs in order to do that which God has called you to do? You know how true faith is revealed? True faith is not revealed in giving out of abundance. Many of us medicate ourselves that way in this culture. We medicate ourselves in the following way. I do give. But true faith is the kind of faith that says this. I give not knowing how I'm going to make it through the next part of this, but to trust in Him. You know, when that kind of faith is refined in trials, it's because trials brings us to the end of our resources, doesn't it? There's nothing that says to you, you can't do this unless God comes through, then trials that run deep, trials that are hard, trials that are overwhelming. In our community, there are trials. My friends, I'm not celebrating the trial, but I want to invite you to consider that God can refine in trials what he sometimes can't do in our lives when we feel that we have and we're in control. Young people, I say to you, God loves you and saves you by His grace. May your faith not be simply that which is passed down to you as a means of acknowledging a part of who you are, but may it become something that moves your heart so much so that you become the kind of person who reaches out to others in the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of James to the church, and we thank you today for a church that is in many ways growing in its trust and dependence on you. These words this morning are words of conviction to me. 
Um, and I do not say that lightly because it sounds good to say to a community that I'm speaking to you, but confessionally, I need brothers and sisters to hold me accountable to living out this faith and not simply making it about what I believe, but a belief that has action, a belief that is transformative. I pray this morning that as we have heard your word, that we do receive it in a way that makes a difference. I pray that as a community of faith, we would respond always in obedience. I do pray for those who are today carrying burdens, those who are carrying weights, that you care about them is certain, that you have not promised to remove all trials from our life, but that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that your presence makes all the difference. Make yourself known in our lives, Father, that we would worship you and serve you and hold on to you even when life is difficult. We ask even for more than that. In the voice of James, we say, may our faith be strengthened even in trials. May our faith become evident in our care for others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.